0: Hi everyone, well, uh, welcome back to the weekly soapbox. I'm Chris Pennington, and I'm TJ Haran. And I can happily say we're now in
1: summer. Oh, yes, summer. Yeah, I know it's it's the second week of May, but we are in summer.
0: Here it and is finally. How was your school year, sweet pea? Oh, gosh, you know it was good. It was a it was a year of kind of continuing to learn and continuing to grow. Um, Practically for me, uh, this this year was kind of it was a big year for me. Uh, I finished up the school year with giving my senior clarinet recital and a lot of big performances with JMU. Obviously, Mahler, as we talked about last week, and a um, couple of lasts for me. My last wind symphony all state concert, um, which we do every year for the all Virginia band and orchestra auditions at JMU. Um, so it was, a it was kind of a year of, of learning and really honing, um, my skills and my, myself to get, get myself really prepared, um, for the next step, which the next big thing on my plate is auditioning for grad schools, which will be coming up in the fall and winter. Um, what do you think about applying? So right now I'm looking at, Five schools. Uh, this is all subject to change. Um, Florida State is my number one. UT Austin is my number two. Uh, Penn State, Texas State, and my reach school is uh, University of Southern California. Um, so, looking at all, all, all five of those schools may change um, here and there. But um, yeah, but yeah. So it was a good. It was a good school year. I'm very glad. Uh, things ended up the way that they did, ended on a high note, um, everything. So, so yeah, it was good. How about you, TJ?
1: Um, I, uh, I started off the year, I declared a new second major in political science, um, in addition to a history major. Um, because I, I, after talking with my advisor, I decided I really wanted to go into like public policy and think tank research and that sort of stuff. And I was like, political science would really help me do that. Um, and then like by sheer coincidence, I was on winter break. I was just going through the Jamie jobs website. Cause I didn't actually, think I was just going to apply for one. I was just like, well, you know, I wonder what they do offer on campus. I found this research assistant job at the center on Jamie campus. I've never heard of called the center for international stabilization and recovery or scissor. And I had no idea it existed. And literally like I looked it up briefly and I was like, you know what? This looks interesting. And I applied and that was neat. and I. By some miracle got the job um and i've been a research assistant there since january Um, and the center focuses on mine action and mine removal um unexploded ordinances and that sort of thing um because mines while we don't really feel them in the united states they're all over the world um after wars end you know the mines stay and they can stay there for an incredibly long time. Yeah. Um, and it's unfortunate because while they are in, you know, like France and Germany, for example, have mines as well. Um, most commonly they're found in rural parts of the poorest countries on earth. So they're very hard to get to when they don't have the means of doing it. Right. Um, my, the, the, the director of the Center for International Stabilization and Recovery is a, um, victim himself of mine violence. Um, he was, I believe in Somalia, but I could be wrong. And he was driving and, um, he lost both of his legs, um, and started advocating for mine action and advocated with princess Diana before her death. Um, and that's one of the reasons mine action got a lot of publicity was through princess Diana. Um, because she, started speaking out about it in the 1990s, um, which is when the center started. And when one of the other big mind action information centers started going up in Europe, um, was back in the nineties and so bottom line, that's been really rewarding, um, an interesting line of work, um, on that I got elected, not into one, but two new leadership positions Mm -hmm. in my um, music fraternity. I was elected chapter president of the Game Off Chapter of Fine Mouth, at James Madison University. Um, and that's that's been something. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's been rewarding. It's a lot of fun um, at the same time. And I was elected the assistant collegiate province representative, province 18, which is the one, the province that JMU is in, um, which is most of the state of Virginia, pretty much everything besides Northern Virginia. Um, and that includes 11 colleges and universities across the state. Um, so that was, that was me, um, to be locked into a position like that. Yeah. Um, otherwise than that, kind of same old thing. I was sad. I was like, oh man, it's year three or four is now done.
0: Yeah. Yeah. For me, this time next year, I'll, We'll be going oh, I definitely i am right there with you. Your four or five is over for me. So I've been here, been here a little while and I'm looking forward to kind of the next steps and everything this year. Also, um, I served my second year as drum major for the marching Royal Dukes. And that is always a, a huge pleasure. Um, lots of fun i love the marching royal dukes with all my heart and it was always a always a fun time to serve um you were good at it uh, i i try my yeah. best um i appreciate that tj yeah. um, and then i i'm now going into serving my second leadership position as well in the um game alpha chapter of five Mu alpha i was uh vice president uh for this past school year and this upcoming fall, I will be serving as a historian for a brief period of time. Yeah. Um, and then next year in the spring, I'm looking forward to student teaching in the Harrisonburg area. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, cool. So it's going to be good. I, the thing that I'm most nervous about is coordinating student teaching and graduate school auditions. So that'll be an interesting time. It'll definitely keep me busy in the spring, but I'm looking Are forward excited to- to each? I am. I'm a little nervous about it. Yeah. Um, I have to say, um, but I think, I think like once you get in there and your observations and your work with the, with your cooperating teacher really uh, prepare you for, uh, excuse me, uh, really prepare you for doing good work. And I think, you know, for me, teaching is always kind of one of those things where it's like the more you do it, the more comfortable I become. So I think once I get to that, really get into it, uh, I'll be, I'll be just fine. I'm a little nervous about it, but I think I'll be okay.
1: Yeah. And you know, it, it, nicely segues into our one of our two questions for today. Um it's Teacher Appreciation Week um in, throughout like across the United States. Um so who is the most effective
0: teacher andor professor you have had and why? Um I think there are uh there's so many educators in in my life that have been really influential. Um first Uh, I have to give a shout out to my clarinet teacher in high school, Ralph Sciano. Uh, he's currently the principal clarinet, uh, of the Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra. Um, basically really did a, did a good job with me, preparing me for college and, and making sure that I, I was in a good place and also just really like fostered my passion for clarinet. Um. That coupled with uh, my band director in high school, um, Miss Amy Birdsong, who's actually now one of my directors at JMU. She's my band director at uh, Hanover High School. Um, And now she's the assistant director of athletic bands at... JMU here. Uh, she just got that job this past year and this, she just completed her first year at JMU this year. And it's been really cool having her on staff and and she was very influential in my decision, not only just to pursue music, but really to pursue music at JMU. She's a huge advocate. She's a JMU alum, alumna and, and she really talked highly about the university and really, you know, again, continued to foster, um, my love of music. And I have to say, there've been three really influential people in my time here at JMU that I that I'm currently, you know, that I'm currently working with. First one, uh, Dr. Stephen Bolstad, uh, the director of bands at James Madison. Uh, he regularly conducts the wind symphony and symphonic band and has a couple conducting classes. Um, he's basically taught me everything that I know about you know, being a good musician and what, and what it means to be a musician. Um, I, I love and respect that man to the utmost, you know, utmost level. And, and he's, a incredibly, incredibly talented and smart. Um, many, his many, many years of experience. And I, I, you know, I will never forget the four years that I had the pleasure of working with him, um, here at, here at JMU. Um, and then my clarinet professor, Um, Dr. Shrunas Sienkowskis, who just came on board, just completed his second year here at JMU, uh, just got the job two years ago as clarinet professor. Um, I've really grown a lot as a clarinet player under him. And I think he really did a good job to get me to where I am today, to be able to, um, uh, you know, be confident, oh my goodness, sorry, uh, comfortable and confident, um, in auditioning for grad schools. And showed in your recital. I appreciate that, TJ. Yeah, you know, and he definitely did a really good job helping me prepare for my senior recital, uh, which was a lot of fun. Uh, I I went into my senior recital, like I went into college, like, i like, like really nervous about ever having to give a recital period. Um, But it was a lot of fun. I'm very thankful that I was able to able to do it. Um, And then I think my favorite professor that I've had at JMU outside of the School of Music, I have to say, it's Dr. Dr. Andrew Whitmer um, my history 225 professor this past semester at, um, at JMU. And I don't know, just the way that he taught history, uh, was very, very interesting. Obviously, you know, history can be taught in very, very many different ways. Um, I really liked, uh, the way that he taught it, the, the things that he focused on, but I also liked how, you know, he, he would teach concepts and he would kind of, find ways to relate it back to our lives like especially once we got into the 1900s you know the 20th century he started relating historical events to how it influenced life on jmu's campus which i I just thought was really interesting and and really kind of you know made everything kind of that we were learning relevant and he really challenged us to think critically Um, and really kind of diving into putting yourself into historical events, um, you know, and and we're looking at history in a way that is, you know, forgets about the outcome of any event. Because if you, if you, if you study an event with the outcome in mind, you get a very different view of history, um than if you study history without the outcome not knowing the outcome and really that allows you to put yourself into the perspective of the people living in that time and i just thought it was very interesting and very insightful and i I really enjoyed that class Mm -hmm. um so what about you tj um i'll start with high school
1: my favorite teacher in high school ironically is nowhere near what i'm doing now she was my senior year english teacher her name was wendy vu um, and this view, she was one of the, my high school had some, a lot of schools have the AP advanced placement program. My school had it's kind of similar IB international baccalaureate program. Um, and she was one of the IB coordinators. So she only taught one class and I just happened to be in that class and she just rocked. Like there was just no other way to say it. She was just, she of any English teacher or professor I've ever had actually kind of got me excited for English. And like some of the things we were doing in that senior English class, like, like point of view and author's choice and words, like things I cannot even tell you about now. Cause I just was so like disengaged with like, I was like, why does this matter? But she somehow found a way to make it kind of exciting And she came in every day at 7.20 a.m. with just like the brightest energy and passion for literature. And she was like, you know, some things, some things aren't fun to read. And then some things are really great to read. And I'm here to help you analyze what you think should be good to read and what isn't. Um, And she's like, you know, we're going to read Hamlet. I don't really like Hamlet, but some of you will like Hamlet. And that's okay. And I was like, I like you. Um so she just got people so excited for English and just like the most like, like quirkiest, neatest way possible. Um, like every day. And I really like appreciate her energy, um, and passion for teaching. Um, I thought that spoke a lot about her in college. Um, it's pretty ironic. I literally today sent an email to the history department head Um, Dr. Gabby Lanier here at JMU, uh, a note regarding two of my professors from this past semester, both of whom I've had before. And I wanted her to know, because she's the department head, how much I admire those two. And I gave her my permission to forward it to the professors, but they already know what I think about them. I wanted their superior to know. Um, One of them I had when I was a freshman for my US history survey, and I had again this semester for an Atlantic history seminar. Um, His name is Dr. Kevin Hardwick, Um, and he, unlike any other professor, I I think just so genuinely cares about his students and their intellectual growth. Um, He is really passionate about history, especially American history, because um, civics is hard to teach, but he makes it relatable, Um, and it's because the, our actions in the past can help lead our decisions today. If we misunderstand our past, then we'll misunderstand what we're doing today. Um, and he made that really clear in his U.S. history survey, which was a lecture of like 200 people. And then in his Atlantic history seminar, which was a class of like 10 people, where we sat around a table and talked about Atlantic history, um, every day just came in with just this intellectual curiosity. And he was reading the books at the same time we were. Um, so he was doing the process with us, um, and he was able to garner discussion that was really thoughtful. And I left every single day. I I left fulfilled, but I also left with a lot of questions and it wasn't always necessarily limited to Atlantic history. It, a lot of the time was just more about the field of history in general or exceeding discipline of history. And. Um, to me, that's what makes a good seminar, when you literally walk out with more questions than when you went in, for the for the right reasons. Um, and I, I just admire him so much, and um, how he taught his U.S. History Survey and his Atlantic History Seminar, um, because I thought he did a really nice job with both. The other history professor, who I really, really admire, his name is Dr. Steve Gurrier. Um, I had him last fall. I had him... In a 400-level class for history, so there was only about 15 people in each. The one in the fall was U.S. history for the 30s and 40s and 50s, and this semester was 60s and 70s. Um, and this semester for the 60s 70s course, um, it was second block, so it only met for eight out of the 16 weeks, but it met for a longer period of time, um, like the equivalent of two class periods a day. Um, but it to me. Maybe just because I'm interested in the material, it legitimately did not matter. I just so look forward to going to his, his lecture every day, um, because he was always so lively and he, how he does his classes is his class is one long narrative, um, because he's really like a storyteller and he just tells the story of American history, um, and interweaves his, especially in the 60s, 70s course, his own personal experiences. Um, he has a lot of mementos and personal, um, memories. Like he remembered the day, um, John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Um, and what it was like when Nixon resigned. Um, and he has all these mementos and all that, um, interesting material. So he, um, despite the fact it was just one big lecture, it literally felt like he was just telling us stories about history. Um, and I walked out of that class. I, my main interest area um, as a student is American history in the 60s and 70s. I left even more thrilled about the 60s and 70s, and we didn't even get to everything. Um, so I really love that man. And it's disappointing that I, I, don't, I don't think I'll be able to take them next year, um, maybe in the spring, but definitely not in the fall. Um, because they are two of my inspirations, um, as historians, um, and I wanted their department heads to know, cause, um, that's how strongly I feel about how they, I think are two of Jamie's best assets in general. Um, but anyway, that's, that's, um, the most effective teachers I've had. Um, but we also had graduation last Friday and Saturday, um, so I'll start with you, Chris. In the spirit of graduation, you know, neither of us graduated, but obviously we can think about this. What is some advice you would give to your 15-year-old self you before know, you came to college? I you know, still in the fresh high school.
0: You know, I, I think about this a lot. And I, and I think this kind of goes back to our previous topic about reflection. I think it's important to think about this kind of thing um, because it acknowledges growth in yourself. Um, and while I think everybody should be, I I think, I think just humans in general should fear satisfaction because it means that you have no room to grow anymore. And I think that's a true waste of potential. Um, So I I reflect on this question a lot as just kind of, you know, while we need not be satisfied, we should, we should recognize and acknowledge and um, look back fondly on our progress and our growth as humans. And I, and I think about this question a lot and it changes a lot. Uh, It changes a lot. Um, And there's so many things that I could say, but I think my biggest piece of advice that I would give to myself as a 15 year old is you're never done learning. Um, When I got to my senior year, by the time I had, actually, by the time I was 15, um, I already was in the Richmond Symphony Youth Orchestra's top orchestra. Um, I was principal clarinet in Hanover's Wind Ensemble. Uh, Your high school. And, yeah, and, and my high school's Wind Ensemble. I was, you know, top three in district band uh, for three years. Um, I, you know, sophomore year, I was second, junior year, I was third, senior year, I was first. Um, you know, I've been all state eligible for all state audition eligible, uh, for three years, which basically to be eligible for all state auditions, you have to place in this top certain percentage of your, of the ensemble from, or of your instrument for district band. So for clarinets, it was six, um, you know, uh, and I, I was already on track to being a very, very successful musician in high school, but I think that bred a lot of, at, at it, having that at a young age bred a lot of complacency in me as a musician. And while I think I learned a lot from that, and I'm very thankful that I kind of went through the ringer my freshman and sophomore year of college, I got my butt kicked a lot um, in the School of Music just because I didn't know how to practice. I, was, I didn't really practice much in high school because um, I was already just kind of there you know, for where I needed to be in high school. And I, and I think that stunted my growth a little bit as a musician in high school. Um, and it, and it required me to play a lot of catch up. Like I'm fine. I'm finding that I have to do a lot more practicing, um, than some of my colleagues in order to kind of achieve at the same level. You know, I, you know, will have, you know, we usually work out of similar etude books, all of us in the studio and it'll take me sometimes two or three weeks to learn an etude where, you know, some people are doing two and three etudes in a week. Um, so I'm still catching up a lot and I'm still feeling the brunt of that. So if I could go back and do, tell my, tell myself anything, it would be that you're never done learning because I kind of thought that, that was it, that I had achieved everything. Um, and I, and I wish, I, I wish I at least acknowledged the fact that, um, things were going to get, you know, I I was not done growing. I was not the musician that I was meant to be yet. And I'm still not, I'm still searching for that. But I think it would have gotten me to start searching for that. Um, You know, I think that is a fundamental thing that we as humans need to realize is that we are never done learning. There's still so much more um, left. And and that's what really, you know, pisses me off and, and, you know, pardon my language, but, you know, really makes me upset in modern, you know, modern culture is, you know, people being unwilling to grow. And that includes things like taking criticism and being able to be knocked down a little bit in order to get back up because we don't, i you know i I don't think we learn from our successes, I think we learn more from our failures because um, naturally humans learn by doing um what do we follow me? what do we do when we fall down? We get back up. Yeah, we get back up. And that's, you know, that's the same thing for even biological processes, like how you, how muscles grow, you know, you have to break down your muscle fibers in order for them to grow back stronger. That's why we lift weights and do things like that. Or, you know, why we run distances. So we're building up everything. And in order to build up stronger, you have to be torn down a little bit. So, you know, I think, and that also just kind of encourages curiosity, you know, you're never done learning. So be curious, be um, involved in your own learning and take ownership of the things that you don't know. I think I focused a lot more on the things that I did know, especially as a musician, and really didn't give the time necessary to things that I didn't know.
1: Yeah. What about you, TJ? Um, if I was 15, or I guess still in high school, I would say to myself, you do not know what you're going to do with the rest of your life. Um, you are 16, 17, 18, 15, whatever years old. It is very, it's not rare, but it's, it's more common to change your mind about what you're going to do than not. Um, and it's something my late grandmother tried to tell me before she passed. Um, she was like, don't think you're bent to just one thing. And of course, at the time I didn't listen. Um, but when I was 16, 17, 18, my junior and senior years of high school, I was in the core classes, but then I was in my main band class, a practice period. I took a period exclusively just for practicing. And then my junior year, I was in music theory and my senior year I was in guitar because I was just so committed to being in music. And I, I auditioned at a few schools, got in, got into JNU, and I didn't even make it to the school year. To take music classes because I changed my mind. I was like, you know, maybe this isn't what I want to do. And that's carried with me in college. I after I initially uh, left music, I was in history in secondary education. Then I dropped secondary education. I added I, I, it's, it's changed so much I've lost track. And then I think I added like SMAT, dropped SMAT, add polypsy minor, elevated the poli-sci minor to a major contemplated doing a public policy minor contemplated doing uh other minors and because i you know i just have not i'm still trying to find my place you know if i was 16 years ago 16 year old 16 year old again i would say you're gonna go be a high school band director and now i want to go do research at some think tank in washington dc you know it's And I didn't have to, I didn't have to fail in any of my areas of that. I initially thought like, you know, I thought I wanted to go be a history teacher. I thought I wanted to be a journalist. I thought I wanted to go do a bunch of things. Um, But over time it just kept changing and I kept changing views and I guarantee you, they're probably going to keep changing. Um, Now, eventually, yeah, you kind of do need to stick around with one um, to make a productive living. Um, But, you know... I, there are so many class instead of, you know, maybe at that practice period and the other music class, you know, maybe I should have taken psychology or world religions or economics or something, um, something else that kind of like enlightened me to something else. Um, because all those things are things I'm interested in. I just never had a chance to take because I was so committed to what I was doing at the time. Um, I don't regret those, those classes I took. I loved being in a bunch of these classes when a junior and senior um but um don't don't put all your eggs in one basket necessarily because it, it might change um as a as lot of criticism as the jamie general education program gets uh, a lot of people make their decisions about what they want to do with the rest of their lives because of classes they take in gen ed mm-hmm. um i cannot tell you how many people i know who have taken um either you know physics or uh, geography or, um, history or English or any of those, you know, they come in undecided or they come in thinking they really want to know what they're going to do. And then they completely like take one gen ed class and they're like, Oh man, no, I'm not doing what I want to do. Um, and, or they take one of their first major classes, and like, wow, that's not what I want to do. Let's take some gen ed classes. Um, and they make the decision there. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, you know, your brother, you know he's in music education and you know mm-hmm. just past year decided he likes environmental sciences and meteorology and I was going down and that sort of environmental science minor
0: yeah yeah my twin brother came in as a music education major he's gonna he's gonna get his degree because a college degree a bachelor's degree is incredibly important in this day and age it is incredibly important um, so he's getting that but he really this past year has really rekindled his childhood fascination with weather. Um, so he added a minor in environmental science with a concentration in meteorology and weather patterns. Yeah. Um, so that includes like local meteorology, like, um, you know, storms and, you know, tornadoes and, you know, things like that, but also weather patterns like, you know, El Nino, La Nina, you know, the studying, you know, hurricanes and, and, even even things like global warming you know he's taking climate change class in the fall um so you know he's you know perfect example got into it realized that it wasn't for him um and even for me you know i think my my views of what i want to do have changed a lot and you're still within the same field yeah i'm still within the same field but even then in that same field it's changed oh yeah it's changed a lot you know i came in i you know i was you know, I think everybody comes out of high school in the, in the music education in college wanting to be a high school band director because that's just, you know. Or whatever their high school program you you know, that's yeah, You know, cool. that's exactly what they just came from, you know, being a high school band director or being in high school. So they want to teach high school, you know, and, and that was the same for me. And it changed, you know, to performance. You know, I, I actually never ended up changing my major, but I was very close to switching into performance and that's what you want to do grad um, school for. And that's yeah. what I'm going to grad school for. But I think I've decided that I, because I do really enjoy teaching, um, that I, I would like, I want to be, I've kind of settled on the career path of, you know, after grad school, maybe getting either, you know, getting some performance experience, getting my DMA, those two interchangeable. I definitely want to get some performance experience. But I think my ultimate goal is I want to settle down and, and be a college professor of clarinet um, be an applied professor so I can help clarinet players just do what they love and play clarinet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that was, and that was the thing, you know, I, I, I love the music education program here and I think there's, you know, there's so many great things about it. It's definitely one of the top music, one of the top, if not the top music education program in the state of Virginia. Um, but, you know, I just, I found that those, my, my music education studies were taking much more time that I felt comfortable compared to how much time I was spending on clarinet. Um, and I was really actually kind of distraught that I was kind of being forced in this position of not making, not be, you know, kind of not making my clarinet my priority, which is ultimately what I came to college to do. You know, I just, I just wanted to play clarinet, I, you know, I didn't really know what I wanted, or I thought, you know, I thought I knew what I wanted to do just because, you know, my dad's a teacher you know, it was the teaching is the noble thing to do. Um, yeah. Yeah. and you know, in, in some instances I, you know, I still, I'm very thankful for my education background and the fact that I'm, you know, sticking with it and, you know, getting the education degree because, you know, teaching is incredibly important. You know, everybody's going to teach in their daily lives no matter what, um, you do. Um, so, you know, it's just something that I'm very thankful for, but I, it, my career paths have definitely changed quite a bit, you know, now I'm really heavily considering military music, um, keeping my options open, you know? Yeah. You know, it's,
1: don't feel bent down at a time, you know, you, you're here to learn, never stop learning, and you're here to take in what you can. Um, odds are you're going to change, not just your job, but your career and your lifetime. Oh, it's, it's greater odds you do that than stay. You know. And it's not to say some people won't stay, they do, um, but...
0: You know, keep your options open.
1: Yeah, I don't think don't limit
0: yourself. I think a good example of that is my mom. She went to East Carolina University to study fashion merchandising because she wanted to be a a fashion designer in New York City. You know, that's what she wanted to do, uh, and now she's a product development manager for Hamilton Beach yeah. uh, in Richmond, and she m- manages the production of small kitchen appliances. Yeah,
1: you never um, know where
0: you're gonna end up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then you know,
1: it's a shameless plug for programs like general education, which expose you to different things. Um, one of the reasons, like why colleges use general education programs, is so that like you don't leave with just your major skill set. Because if you leave with just your major skill set, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: You know, and and kind of going on that, and the philosophy about that is really building well-rounded citizens for the world. And I think a huge part of that and, and, and a huge part of, you know, keeping, you know, things are going to change and everything is just really keeping your mind open. Yeah, You know, if you if you go into something with a closed-off mind, that closes you off to every other perspective that someone else has. Um, they can really enrich your um, your life you know i think some of the most interesting things that i've ever learned were those perspectives in which they're different from mine yeah um so yeah that's just the most important thing is just keep your mind open and it'll allow you to do you know things you know like exploring other majors and you know not being hammered down to one thing and you know always continued growth mm-hmm. you know the most important thing behind those two is just keeping your mind open
1: Right. Right. Well, that was a good chat. Um, a lot of stuff this week as we finished out the school year, started the summer. We'll be back next week, hopefully talking about the summer and how that's going. Um, but for now I'm TJ Horan. and I'm Chris Pennington and we'll see you next week.